Yeah, so I'm here with White Suns. Uh, they have two new records coming out in about a week. Uh, you can find them from, it was Flag Day Records and uh, Decoherence. Uh, and one's called Modern Reserve, which is a, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, Dana, I'm just throwing you into this, um, which is a collection of, of various recordings over the last 15 years. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, odds and ends, unreleased things, demos, kind of just miscellaneous stuff that we had. Yeah. And it's super rocky, if you will. Maybe that's the wrong word, but like it's... Uh, it reminded me of Harry Pussy a lot, especially with the fidelity and stuff too. Like, yeah, it's the fidelity is all over the place. Um, a few of those are definitely four tracked, I think. Yeah, okay. yeah, it sounds like it. Um, and then uh, the lower way, which is the uh, collection of, of brand new tracks, um, and I think from what I got of it, it's, a, it's like it's it's like a meeting point between your last record, which was the Psychic Drift, and the, like everything that came before. I would say. Yeah, that's, but something I new. That's fair. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely your most digital record from from what I gathered, if that's fair to say, with mm -hmm. some of the sampling and it's uh, it the the noise kind of soundscapey stuff feels less feedbacky and and much more like electronic, truly, you know. Um, yeah, I've been listening to these guys for a long, long time. Uh, but yeah, you guys were gonna tell me a story. I'm from Victoria, uh, and these guys were telling me a story about Vancouver, something that went down there when they were touring. Yeah, last time we were there, we played at, um, uh, I don't know the name of it, but it was kind of like a, you know, DIY venue. And okay. Was it the uh, Red Gate? Does that sound right? No. Okay. It was, it was kind of like a warehouse space, but pe uh, part of a complex where people also lived. I remember on one side, there was like a big open space where there was a stage. And then on the other, um, yeah, people were cr crashing. That sounds like, yeah. it, but I, I don't know. It's probably changed names over the years too. I don't know. I think it was just a number, you know, it's, I don't okay. know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But anyway, we had played there the night before and we were on our way back um, south to Seattle, I think. And uh, we were at the border checkpoint, like waiting in line in the, in the car and the van or we were at a car and um we were kind of just like, all right, we're leaving the country now. So we better just take a second to think about <laughs> anything we might've left behind. Well, prior yeah. to that, I was like, pull over. Because <laughs> it was our first tour together in a long time. <clears throat> and we used to be quite seasoned at the dummy check and carrying lots and lots of shit around. But between the yeah. four things that I had on this tour, I managed to leave a pretty important and irreplaceable item behind. Yeah. So we drove all the way back to the venue and Kevin was trying to call the promoter and unreachable. Turned, yeah, and it, it turned out they had stayed up until like six or eight in the morning. Yeah, and there had been like a punk festival going yeah. on that weekend or something. There was like a multi-day yeah. punk fest happening. So everybody had been partying all fucking night into like yeah. the morning. And yeah, even As you the do. People, Yeah, yeah. I mean can't fault them there, but even the people living at the complex where we were banging on the doors and shit and they were completely unresponsive. Yeah. So then we start, we start looking around through to find any open window and I see my device just sitting on a table right there. And I was like, ah, fuck, well, now we know, I'll know where it is. <laughs> and then I start like reaching in through the window to try to unlock the door. And I had a broomstick, I think that we found in the alley. 
Okay. And I was like, oh, I can't get it. Was a window that was, it's like a fucking Hitchcock movie. There was a window movie, that was yeah. open. Like, it, was a movie, it was like this it was a open. Slightly open window with <laughs> bars in, in front of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I was reaching through the bars and I was like, ah, oh, I'm so close, but I can't get it. And Dana's like, is the problem that your arms aren't long enough? <laughs> I was like, yeah. yeah. So he hopped up there and flipped the deadbolt open. And we were like so excited. We just barged in, set the alarm off to the building. Oh, damn. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was uh, armed with one of those like countdowns to, to where they're going to call the cops or some shit. Yeah. 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 So then we, we grabbed my instrument and lassoed like a slipknot around one side of the deadbolt and ran it through. I think we, we grabbed a couple, we grabbed a couple warm brews on the way out that had been sitting out all night. <laughs> yeah. Uh, were they, were they opened or unopened brews? Uh, you know, it's the kind of thing where you walk into someone's house after a party in the morning and there's like a tub full of lukewarm water with a couple floaters in there. Right, still. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <That's funny. laughs> So we, we retrieved the instrument and we left and we had fashioned a device to relock the door, which I thought was pretty courteous on the way yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which one of the people living there mentioned, right? Yeah, you know, we got a text from them like in the early or mid-afternoon. They guy the door or some shit. Yeah, that was, they said they, they fish hooked the door <laughs> or something. They, they weren't mad about you busting in though, I guess, eh? They were no, just, yeah. no. It was like, it was all uh, it was all copacetic. Um, that's good, yeah. I guess with like a uh, a punk festival hangover, you're not going to care about much, really. Yeah, I mean, uh, everyone's left something behind and had that uh, pit in their stomach, you know. So oh, yeah, they understood, definitely. I think. Yeah, <laughs> damn, that's funny. Um, yeah, because one of my questions actually was uh, like, to what degree? Because the music that you guys make as a band is uh, very, like, you know, confrontational, uh, like, noisy music, right? And I was just wondering if, if there's a degree of a sense of humor about it, you know? Because you've been doing it long enough, I'm sure that there's, like, a consciousness of, you know, it's, it's inherently niche music. I don't, and I don't mean that in an insulting way, because I really like it. But, uh, like, yeah, is there a sense of humor around it is, was one of my questions. But it's a weird question. I think, like, the music... The music itself is mostly pretty humorless, for better or for worse. Yeah. But the three of us um, definitely have a sense of humor in person. I'd say quite, um, yeah, we're quite the opposite <laughs> in person. I think, I think that's where yeah, the, I the guess, catharsis you know, we take, through, right? In that type of performance and stuff. Too. Yeah, we take what we do, you know, pretty seriously when we get in the room. Um, we're easygoing people in, in general, though. Okay. Um, I'm curious uh, about how you've been able to, how, how long has the band been together? Is it 15 years? Is that right? Roughly? Yeah, thereabouts. In one form or another. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm curious about uh, how you've sort of maintained uh, an experimental edge and, and how, you've, uh, how you like, stay interested in, in sticking with one, you know, the unit that is White Suns. Uh, and how, how perhaps your relationship with the, the project itself has changed over the last... 15 years i think one really basic way that we've done that um is just by holding ourselves to a kind of standard of not just getting like stuck in a rut and doing the same thing over and over yeah 
I mean, in some ways that might happen naturally anyway. There's only so many good ideas anybody has. But we kind of had this rule. I remember early on when we were, uh, you know, just writing shit in Brooklyn, where it was sort of like with any new song that we decided to put together, if it started sounding like or feeling like we were just repeating something that we had already done, uh, that was usually a sign not to continue with it or to throw it out or to find some way to, to fuck with whatever structure or, or sounds that we were working with. So, I mean, yeah, that alone kept us like, I don't know, actually creating and, and experimenting with what we were doing and, and being interested in kind of upending any kind of, uh, I don't know, sort of static. Illness. Yeah. 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 Cause, uh, you guys have always changed like throughout all the records without a doubt. Um, and I think, you know, you could see certain records and go, Hey, that was successful. That's what people want to hear. But you guys have clearly not done that, which, uh, I commend you for, you know? Yeah. I think in, that's reached an extreme in recent years after not playing as a trio for three years. Cause psychic drift was just two of you. Is that, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. In the past, the past times that we've gotten together to play, it's been like a, a blitz of writing material, new material as quickly as possible, and then doing a tour or playing a couple shows around it. But we never really even entertained the thought of trying to just play the stuff we only ever played once before a year yeah. ago. Like the record, I don't, you know, we may never play that again. We may never play the stuff we played last year in Latvia live again. Yeah. Um, this when how did you make this new record? How recently was it recorded? Was it was it a pandemic thing? Was it a did you guys find a way to get together? It was actually um, the songs have been around for like two years, and we actually recorded this stuff last year. Okay, but we since we don't live in the same city together. Um, our working processes are a bit slower than the average band. And uh, yeah, it was just about a fucking record. Um, yeah, it was sometimes it's hard for us to find the right place to put a record. Who wants to put it out? Right. When, when can we tour to, to support it? There's a lot of things that um, are a little more difficult to arrange as we get older, I guess. Yeah getting sort of bogged kinda, by kinda sad, but true. yeah 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 it's uh it's not nothing to do with our lack of interest really it's just uh takes takes some effort for us to get together physically and to work on a project together yeah kind of speaking to, to this question and the last one um you know since we only have these we've been like sort of writing songs on, on the basis of opportunities when we, we decide like, all right, let's get together and do something. Um, that's also given us a kind of like clear idea of what we want to go for each time we do this. So there was like for, with this formation of the band, for instance, there was like a discussion prior to us ever like meeting up and playing, which was like, all right, well, this is the thing we did last time that worked in some ways and it didn't in others. You know, we, we did this tour when we went through Vancouver, it was like, all right, let's try and like make a band, but none of us are actually playing traditional instruments whatsoever. Right. Yeah. Which is in some way that's always been 
I don't know, part of the the gimmick of White Sons is like, <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll take some of the like structures of or like things that reference rock music, but refuse to just fucking play rock songs. Yeah, uh, anti rock, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's more and more been 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 the idea. I think as the band has grown, um, and so we were, so we tried that with like some success and. I don't know. This time around, we I think kind of honed that idea a little more, and we were, we were like, "Let's bring the guitars, guitars back." Yeah, let's, let's bring, back guitars. Let's bring the guitars back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, on the on the new record though, I do think like it, it's one of those records where I'm like, "Is that a guitar? Is that not a guitar?" You know, does that kind of mental trickery? Um, it's a great record. It, I I wrote down that I thought it was uh, it's it's it sounds very composed. You know what I mean? Like. A lot of your music is inherently spontaneous sounding at the very least, right? But uh, this record, the songs change very rapidly. I don't, it doesn't seem like you let like ideas kind of overstay their welcome. I'm glad that you think that because that's always something I'm self conscious about when, and when I'm writing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, people who uh, enjoy that know, kind of music have the patience though for longer stretches of, yeah. uh, of a singular idea. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there's definitely, um, you know, uh, something to be said for using extended, uh, you know, extended time in a single piece, uh, if that makes sense. But yeah, these guys know that I'm always like, should this be shorter? Should we move on? Like in every song that we write, that's, you know, and and there's always um, the three of us, you know, we compose the songs together democratically. So there's push and pull between the three of us about what we think is a good idea. So we all balance each other out. Yeah. yeah the length thing is something I, I saw in one of the interviews you guys did. I think it was the Baltimore Sun interview uh, where you test stuff out live essentially and you realize, oh, this section is too long or this section is the audience reacted to. Um, and that's something I've experienced too, like playing sort of improvisational music live and stuff is where something that f- I thought it lasted 35 minutes and I go, okay, this is done. And it was, it had only been 10 minutes, you know, and mm-hmm. you, you yourself, I guess, are more conscious of time outside of the recording studio. Um, and that, that yeah, that, I, I, I agree. Yeah. What uh, instrument that, do you play JP? I, uh, I mean, these days I'm just an Ableton guy. Mostly. Um, I teach, I do teach ukuleles on Mondays to elementary school kids, but uh, <laughs> nice. yeah, it's pretty fun. It's kind of cute. Um, but yeah, no, I've, I'm just an experimental guy. I just have been, I, I actually read how, I can't remember which one of you it was, but you played your first show, and you, you got a show at a church, and you didn't really have anything ready, and we're just like, let's, let's fuck with the church, basically. Is that right? I think, uh, I think that's a Dana story. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, is anybody else drinking any beer tonight? I'm having some wine. A little scotch here. Okay. And I was like, Dana, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get something. something. Yeah, you should. I encourage drinking on my show. I mean, I'm I'm off the booze in the classic, you know, New Year's resolution sense, in that I drank from December 24th all the way to the 31st. But so I got a club soda. Wait, Dana, is that church story about you? Maybe, maybe, maybe it was the VFW gig that uh, Kevin and I played. As a, we just sort of made up a band for the for the sake of that one night. You you played with. josh's band that night that's right so i yeah. probably had a hand in organizing it then yeah i think so huh. I, Kevin, I think this show is actually us playing in in that group mollusk men at the vfw yeah 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 so it's, it's worth noting that after that show 
we were no longer welcome to book shows there. Yeah. <laughs> As it happens. I've yeah, experienced that they, too, where I they, conned a promoter and I just did some really experimental fuck shit, if you will. And yeah, and we did we did some pretty out there sort of we had some out there shows before that, but that that was enough to scare the the bar flies away. Yeah. <laughs> Have you guys since when we uh, were um when we were probably about uh, like right after high school, right at the end of high school or so, we were 18, 20, 21. Rick was setting up a lot of shows in our hometown and various compositions of different friends of ours and each other would play. And um, yeah, I don't, we were basically told not to come back from quite a few places in that, in that area, <laughs> in that region of Connecticut where we grew up. Yeah. Until we found a sympathetic you know owner, right? Yeah, yeah. I was thinking of one of our really early shows. Maybe we were not even White Sons. We played at that bar in Danbury, and people were, like, heckling us between the songs and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That can be fun, though. I mean, depending on how you're approaching the live show, the heckling. I've, I've had fun with that. In I was in a group that uh, we straight up were very much inspired by you. And... uh yeah, we would have bar flies uh, jump on stage and like be like, drummer, play a beat and stuff like that. <laughs> and I was just, and sometimes I let them, let them play the drums and shit, you know? Yeah, I guess that's just one of those badges you, you have to earn, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so do you, have you guys experienced any like clearing of the room in uh, like more contemporary touring, I guess? Because I read again in one of your interviews that, you guys often get booked with bands that don't sound at all like what you guys do. I guess that's the nature of, of kind of the beast of booking a, a tour, but. Uh, I think we definitely think, uh, fairly empty in different rooms. Okay. Even, even recently, not always, but I think we give one gig in particular um, on the last tour that we, that we did where it was kind of, yeah, everything just felt very dead. Yeah. Yeah, maybe we weren't good that night. <laughs> nah, fuck the audience. Wait, which gig are you referencing, Dana? Uh, uh, I think of that St. Louis show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oof, whoa, that was that was a bad one, yeah. With yeah. Our, uh, our friend of the fucking jester doing the door work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was this... There was like this Australian guy, this Australian guy wearing a jester costume okay. who, took, who took on the serious burden of collecting people's money that night. Um, yeah. True to, true to his uh, form, I guess. True to his costume. He, was uh, his, did, it, did his costume relate to like the theme of the bar or anything? No, no. 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 Uh, Maybe he was running his own show at the door. <laughs> Yeah, he was like, yeah, you know what? A lot of people said they weren't, they didn't really want to pay, and so here's five bucks, something like that. Ooh, five bucks? <laughs> like, yeah. That was a rough night. I mean, it was just like a weird weeknight in St. Louis. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can't blame them. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. There's ways to make sure that a touring band kind of gets their, their dues, though. I think, like, it's the local bands need to just go, fuck it, I'm not making any money tonight, is the in you know, i don't think the local bands made any money that night either okay <laughs> yeah 
But I, I, uh, I understand this, your sentiment and I, I agree with you. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm curious also about, uh, like I, this, this relates to what we we're just talking about, but the, the consciousness of, of audience, right? So, and I've asked this to all the musicians that I've interviewed so far, basically, but it's how, how, and I, and I guess we already touched on this a little bit, but how much, uh, are you influenced consciously, unconsciously by audience reaction, whether or not that's, um, thinking that people are going to like something that if you want to try something and go, I think people will like this or, or critical uh, praise or lack thereof uh, and so on. And even just live shows and stuff. Is that something that you guys, I don't know, are conscious of or, or factor in? And if so, how? I, mean, I think there's like a, depending on how you, you sort of like how deep you want to go in saying there's a role that the the audience is playing. There's um, there's no way that it's not influencing what we're doing. Yeah, like, of, course. of course, yeah, of course we're only doing this in some sense so that people other than us listen to it. Um, and maybe some of that influences the fact that we're like, oh yeah, let's do this thing for too long. You know, yeah, <laughs> whatever that counts as is going to be based on some audience standards, right? But I don't know. For the most part, we don't, we don't, we never talk about that. Whenever we're writing songs, I'm usually, I'm thinking of it more in terms of like, oh, this would be interesting or cool or worth doing. And we just really work, work from there. So it has more of a hermetic feel to it, at least for me. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, I've had this, I've had a similar thought too, um, where when, when we're writing stuff, we don't really talk about what influence um, the music would or could have on anyone else except for ourselves. We really just write to our own standards, I guess. Yeah, and I guess as you said, and you guys as far as like, write democratically, right? So. Yeah, and as far as performance and making a judgment onto the effects we're having on the audience, like. I guess obviously you know people are having a good time if you get like knocked over and stuff, but I don't know if that means they're reacting to the music or you know they're just loaded, fucked up or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and I think we 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 have reacted to that in the more raucous days when we were had drums and lots of amplifiers and we have these really kind of every now and then some just off the wall cathartic show. And we would definitely play into that with the people. Whereas we've also played at like museums where people are yeah. sitting. You know. I found some art gallery gigs that you guys uh, have played in the past. Just yeah. To, um, I, think, I, I think the music does suit that, but I think that you could potentially get uh, frustratingly over-intellectualized feedback from that possibly as well. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny, like, at the more highbrow shows, um, I found that people kind of talk to us a little less. Maybe they think we don't belong there, or they don't know what to say, or what to make of it. Maybe um, they're scared by the music. They're intimidated, right? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I guess I don't really care. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, I don't know what those people want exactly, but... I don't know. We're we're coming in some way, shape, or form. We're coming out of the the world of uh, basement gigs and 
rock music, you know, the yeah, things that, DIY things that reach punk. back to like, yeah, punk world. So, yeah, I don't know. There's, uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's, you know, there's only so much that comes out of chin scratching. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. I, uh, I took I a mean, class as far on as a lot of that as far you know as like audience feedback like i kind of consider it like that's their business to think about it our business is just to make it you know yeah it's really kind of that simple i can't recall a single time we've ever been writing something and took taking that into consideration yeah that's good you know whatever like yeah whatever like conceptual stuff comes out of the music it's it's um it's there in the material. It's in the composition itself, as far as I'm concerned, you know? Yeah. It's not like, um, you know, you read some of these reviews, I'll, I'll refrain from naming anybody, but where they kind of paint this very elaborate story about like the social, some kind of like social commentary or significance that comes out of the, uh, the songwriting and, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wrote down actually. That's cool. I'm glad that people notes. like yeah. get that, but or get that out of it. But that's um, that's never really uh, part of part of the intention. Yeah, I, I I find that the the at least the lyrics in terms of of what you just specifically said like uh, remind me more of of the, it's it's it feels just like like poetry rather than um, some kind of like you know political slam poem or something, right? <laughs> uh not yeah, to I, poetry, I uh i usually write the lyrics well not all the time actually but a lot of the time i write the lyrics like separate from the music um and i'll see what fits later yeah um i mean i do write about real things in the real world uh but at the same time like I don't know. What was the question? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it is. It is pretty abstract. You're a slam poet. Yeah. You know. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, I don't know. I I I read a lot and I write a lot and I try to uh, keep my the language section of my brain uh, operational. Yeah. The way, yeah. When I was in a like noise rock band, the way I was the the guy who yelled or whatever. And I would the way. Oh, I would this write, is good. I want to hear about this. Yeah. So the way I would write lyrics was, uh, I know I'm interviewing you guys, but I guess it's just a conversation. But uh, <laughs> uh, I would write basically. I would just like hear lines sometimes in in movies and video games and stuff, and I would just write them down, and then or things would come to me, or I'd hear something on the bus, and I just had to know the band was called Schoolgirl, and I would just I had a big note in my phone that just said Schoolgirl. I would just write all these lyrics, and then I would just whenever we would record, I would just look at them, put my phone down, and hope that they were delivered correctly basically so it was like sem- semi-improvisation i was wondering if, if you had that approach because I, I i was thinking that you might but i think mm, no, digging deeper really. into your catalog um, it's, it i mean feels more composed than uh the <coughs> recollect from 2014 or whatever right yeah uh no i usually i mean i might get uh a flash of inspiration from overheard conversation or like, I don't know, a, a, a site that I've seen, but uh, no, most of the time, uh, this a single song will be kind of a single idea. 
Okay. Yeah, because yeah, the the talking about the lyrical process is a very difficult thing, I think, to uh, quantify, right? Yeah, I guess outside I of maybe hip hop uh, and pop, but yeah, I don't know. I haven't never talked about it or thought about the process of it so much. Um, I do labor over them to try to make them good uh, if I if I can. I look back at some of the older ones. Actually, I did I did this recently because I was collecting some material to send to someone, and uh, yeah, some of the older stuff is not so great, but uh, the feeling is there sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I like. I, I mean, like the, the, the lyrics, the lyrics, just alone. Yeah, I yeah. Oh, uh, you know, it's like the kind of thing where I look at it and I'm like, oh man, I used the same descriptive word like twice right. in the same song. Whoops, you know, like yeah. stuff like that. It's, yeah, it's like scanning over your essay and going, "I said, however, a hundred thousand times, or whatever," you know. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, the, my God's face is made of mirrors. My God's face looks like my father's. I don't know exactly what that means, but that shit always got me pretty good. That's some slam poetry right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I wrote down that, that I'm like, that's a decidedly, in my opinion, happy lyric. That's another thing I wrote down. I think you guys are, I think it would be easy to characterize your music as uh, dark uh, and confrontational, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that it's it's much more of, a, of the, like a release of energy like uh rather than something it doesn't i don't i've never found your music to be like evil uh compared to like a slayer band or something right no that's not i don't think uh yeah i would have to agree yeah yeah going back to i don't know sort of uh the role of experimentation in our songwriting or things like that um at least when we were kicking off and getting inspiration for our own ways of like putting putting music together with the the tools that we had yeah. some of the main influences for for me at least and i, I know in some ways for, for the, the other two uh was coming from bands like uh these bands that also had kind of like rock elements or rock instrumentation but we're also tearing that shit apart in ways yeah. some some ways much better than we did at least early on um yeah, like sightings is one. Yeah, big reference for me. I, I listened to them while prepping for this, actually. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Fat Worm of Error is another one that I always come okay. back to, and those are those are bands. They're not when you listen to them. Yeah, I mean they they don't things don't sound the normal like emotional content that you get out of hearing like a minor key or something isn't there. Maybe you think that's like makes it like scary or dark but for me it's always just strange sounding yeah yeah it's just kind of bizarre and that's yeah that's what i that's what i like about that stuff it's like where is this coming from like how the fuck is this even a band <laughs> playing this when i listen to some sighting songs i'm like what what are they doing this doesn't sound like a band <laughs> yeah yeah that's funny um yeah there's a lot of different uh flavors that you can conjure without using like Dane is talking about your kind of um, standard triggers for emotion that you'll find in most pop music like yeah. the minor key or the crescendo or whatever you know once you move on and try to create your own like emotional triggers that's what I find like most gratifying I think it comes across it's more personal yeah 
Yeah, yeah I think as, as far as the lyrical content is concerned, it's for me, it's worth noting that I usually did not know what the lyrics were until Dana and I sat in a recording studio and heard you do the vocals. So we played those songs like, you know, maybe hundreds of times. Yeah. But to me, it was like, here, and sometimes the PA would be pretty shitty. We didn't even have a PA in our practice right. space. But the, the vocal element was always more of an instrument for me. And so I didn't get the direct lyrical content until later. Right. And I, I think in your musical context to the, the, the vocals as an instrument, it's like something to kind of grab the listener. Like, and it's like, Hey, yeah. Like, like shaking them or something, you know? I, don't know yeah, I think I would like to think it's nice to have a recognizable human sound when you're like, you're saying you're sometimes uh, maybe not struggling, but um, unsure of the source of some of the sounds that you're hearing in our music. It's, I think it's, um, I, and I like this in, in other music that I enjoy too. Um, it's nice to hear something uh, uh, recognizably human to, to, I don't know. It makes it a little bit, there's an entry point for like an emotional experience, I think. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I, what, what, what music did you guys grow up on? I'm always curious, but it's, a, it's, a, it's such a bland question, but I'm always curious to just, I love when people just list off bands and shit, you know? What I grew up on is like what your, your parents. What, what's in, to what's in your DNA, you know, what's in your artistic DNA, I guess. Yeah. If I, like the farthest back that I'll go, like a, uh, a group that I, that really like latched onto me early on and that I feel like is still kind of born fruit in various ways would be Nine Inch Nails. Okay. Hell yeah. Yeah. I remember hearing, I was, when I was, um, I was six or seven or something, uh, when the Downward Spiral came out. And so I'd hear, I'd hear like closer on the radio, there were older kids in the, in the neighborhood who, uh, you know, duplicated some cassettes and shit that I would listen to on the playground when I was a little kid. And that stuff I thought was, was some of like the coolest sounding music I had ever heard. Um, yeah. including the, the more like synthy synth wave type shit. Yeah. And yeah, I, yeah. If, if I had to go, go back that far. That would be, that would be the band. Nine Inch Nails is a band that has always, whenever I go back to them, they sound different. You know, uh, I get something different out of their, at least their first two records more than anything. But Yeah, I mean, um, I, for, uh, you go. Sorry, go. Uh, do you have, do you have more to add, Dana? No, nothing. No <laughs> <laughs> Um, for me, it was like, uh, kind of your standard nineties rock stuff. When I was a kid, um, there was not a lot of music in my house from my parents. Like, uh, so it was just on my own exploration. Um, but for me, it was like Nirvana, Smashing Pumpkins, Nine Inch Nails also. Um, and I was deeply like really deeply listening at a young age but um it didn't occur to me really to that it was possible for me to make music on my own until i heard sonic youth a little bit older and that's what yeah. really started me 
Yeah, I had um, a big eureka moment with them in early high school with Sonic. Yeah, yeah. So there was a kid who lent me an album when I was about thirteen or fourteen, and and that, that's what set me off, I think, on my path. Yeah, Sonic Youth is a good one because it's it's. Uh, I remember the first time I listened to them, I thought to myself, I'm like, this sounds like like hell, like, but I like it, you know, like. Uh, yeah, for me, it was like the stoned brain, you know. Yeah, the the guitar stuff was it was it was like a, a crack in the heavens and like you could see some angels in there, yeah. you know? That's what it was like. Were you playing you? guitar at that age? Like age thirteen? That's what made me start. That's what made me start. Right. Uh, yeah, that reminds me of these nights. Um I, I still have this distinct memory of of uh these drives home, maybe one in particular from a like family Thanksgiving in my dad's minivan. And he, my dad was always a big Neil Young fan. So I heard a lot of that stuff growing up. And um, yeah, in the nineties, Neil Young toured with Sonic Youth. And so my dad had, had picked up Daydream Nation. And nice, so yeah, yeah. When I was um, too, too young to really particularly like it maybe because of the production quality, maybe because it didn't sound enough like Nine Inch Nails or Corn or whatever the fuck I was into at the yeah. time. Um, but I do, I, I really distinctly remember hearing that album for the first time, like, yeah, late at night driving through the woods in, in Connecticut. And so, yeah, it's, it's definitely stuck with me. How about you, Rick? Yeah, I mean, I kind of grew up on the sort of run of the mill. Like my parents didn't play a lot of music. There was just like a lot of radio. So right. like classic shit that you would still hear on the radio here today. And yeah, I think that maybe Sonic Youth was pretty eye-opening for me, same as Kevin. And I think when I started trying to learn how to play guitar, I realized really quickly that I was never going to be good at it unless I devoted a lot of time to it. Yeah but that I could just totally fuck it up and that there was this whole canvas that you could paint on the instrument with where you didn't like, I'm such a, I'm a terrible musician, like, but there's this whole other world where you can experiment and yeah. prepare the guitar. Yeah. And you I, I also, fuck out of the guitar until you like the open chord and see where you go. From yeah. 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 I think I was lucky to learn about John Cage at a fairly young age. So that kind of opened my mind to a lot of just different ideas in music that maybe were going to be there or were there, but I didn't know about yet. Yeah. So. That, that's something I find very interesting is the kind of strange crossover between uh, like, you know, DIY experimental music, if you will. And uh, like sort of 60s, 70s school of like uh, neoclassical or whatever they call it where you know people like uh lamont young and john cage mm -hmm. and shit kind of bleeds i mean it, it's really no different the only difference is one of them was written down and had a manifesto or whatever you call it and then the other one is sort of made in a recording studio or or you know less formally right yeah yeah i definitely at a, at a fairly young age like velvet underground led me to lamont yeah. young so yeah it was like this there's that's a how whole... i got there too yeah right yeah and I feel like we were all like pretty poor in high school, 
noise musicians and like at least Dana and I were just buying up all sorts of stupid shit from thrift stores all the time to try to make music with and circuit bend things. And once you kind of start to view that realm as open as it can be, then like everything becomes a weird little instrument. Yeah. Yeah. I think like, yeah, maybe another stage to the DNA way of thinking is like Kevin, like Kevin's answer, like what, because it wasn't Nine Inch Nails that got me into playing music. In fact, I didn't even buy a lot or list, try to listen to a lot of music back then. It was just like, oh, I like this and I don't like, you know, Backstreet Boys. Yeah. So here I am. Um, but yeah, it was, and I, I got more into stuff as I started like hanging out with more with Rick and his circle of friends in high school and smoking weed and doing this thing. There's sort of more of a listening to, to music or like Pink Floyd or post-rock stuff and hanging out. But I think the thing that got me to actually start playing myself was, yeah, being introduced to some of this harder edged, uh, like no wave and noise stuff yeah. where the, there was this kind of, yeah, the barrier to entry was very low and the, you know, there, it was basically an open invitation not to yeah, sort of have to abide by these sorts of canons of proficiency or, yeah. yeah. Um, that no wave like, stuff is, yeah, I can hear the no wave stuff big time in the, especially on your, your earliest records. I can definitely hear the uh, no wave kind of vibes. Yeah, that shit is interesting. Um, it's certain, yeah, I've never thought of it like that. It is sort of an open invitation to be like, listen, like, as long as it's as as you think it's cool as shit, it's cool as shit. Yeah, I think um, something that I kind of realized in my teens when I started to go see more. Um, we lived in a kind of rural area in Connecticut growing up, but once I was able to get my driver's license and leave my parents' house. I was able to go see bands in New York and travel around a little bit. And you kind of, once you see more live music, you kind of realize that the proficiency isn't what it needs to be there. Like it just takes like some uh, personal power and like presentation. And you realize that performance has more, has, has more impact than the playing does sometimes especially when you're going to see, you know, punk or noise or uh, anything like slightly aggressive. Um, So yeah, I I think that counts for a lot too. And uh, that's something you don't learn when you're taking guitar lessons from a fucking bluegrass dude in Connecticut. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, a lot of what makes made punk interesting or at least, uh, you know, a more radical, art form in some people's minds than the you know garage rock and 50s songs that a lot of those bands were covering had nothing to do with the the notes or the chords that they were playing you know it was just it was sheerly the fact that yeah amps had gotten a lot louder distortion pedals had become run of the mill and uh they played it fucking fast it was all about the yeah the energy things that didn't have to do with the notes themselves and so that's what yeah. I love. It's it just it, it's like it's just like boom. There you're you're right in it. Whereas you know, music that's not so hard and fast yeah. and loose is something. It, I, I wouldn't even say it requires more patience, but it's it doesn't have that kind of like 
almost drug and like kind of immediacy, right? Yeah, there's there's also like I think the three of us kind of matched up on this without really talking about it too, um, because you know there's the punk versus metal the debate that will go till the end of time. Yeah, and in metal there's definitely an emphasis on proficiency and musicianship yeah. and those guys have sometimes more grounding in classical music or music theory. Big time. And yeah. I just could not, I could not be less interested in that when I was <laughs> 17, 18, yeah. you know, I was like, I understand that it's cool to like have bullets in your belt or wear spikes on your shoulders and face pain and whatever. And I like some, I like a lot more metal now than I used to, but um, being a, being a young person, thinking about starting a band uh that stuff was just not interesting to me at the time i just wanted to do it as fast as possible yeah and that meant not having to learn too much yeah no finger tapping dorian scales and shit yeah <laughs> like how many bands were you in in high school where not even everybody owned the instruments that you needed to play <laughs> yeah just like me. Yeah, I, th I think Rick, you provided the uh, full instruments for a lot of bands. I did. <laughs> yeah, didn't you? You had you had drums, guitars, bass. You had everything. Oh, we, after high school, definitely. Yeah, we. I was like, I had collections of just crap, you know. But like when we were like really young, you're just like, well, you know, Nate's got a snare drum, and I've got an acoustic guitar, so we could start a band. And that's like, <laughs> that's as far as it gets. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember, Rick, do you remember when that music store in New Milford, we heard that it closed and we went down and dumpster dive some stuff from there, like from, that they threw out in the store? Yeah, I, I do now. Yeah. I found like get? a string electric acoustic guitar in there. Okay. Like, yeah, yeah, we found some good stuff. Yeah. We also had a friend who was like, you could do an entire interview with him. It would be pretty good. This guy named Doug that stole a lot of our equipment from the Catholic school he went to. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, we had a, that's not metal. We had a, we had a friend who uh, got expelled from public school for reasons that I won't get into. <laughs> um, but once he was in private school, he started ransacking their fucking music department and giving us all the gear. It was awesome. <laughs> he didn't even want it. No, he was like, uh, he, he never really played much aside from an, from an electric keyboard. Yeah. I think he was okay. just looking for, a, for a ticket for us to like, I don't know, share our drugs with him and hang out. And, right. and I don't know. It worked. It fucking worked. Yeah. Cheers, Doug. For all you listeners out there, if you want to be friends with the band, steal instruments, give them to them. <laughs> yeah. Weed's not going to work anymore, guys. <laughs> yeah, there's stores for that now. You got to steal shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's completely legal here now, man, like federally, which is crazy. Yeah, so why even do it? Yeah, exactly. It's not, it's not cool. <laughs> yeah cool um all right so, yeah. uh wait 
JP, what are where what were you listening to at age thirteen? At age thirteen, uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers was my favorite band at the age. 13. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah. I recently they, had a debate with a with a with a friend, uh, or maybe my brother, um, over which was which was worse, Red Hot Chili Peppers or Faith No More. Red Hot Chili Peppers. Sure. <laughs> I, I'm 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 on Team Faith No More. I think they they're way worse. Really? Do you like Mr. Bungle at least? Do you like that shit or? I can I can get into that. I can understand it, but Faith No More is. I think my brother. Yeah, it was with him because he he put it best. He's like, it's, it sounds like four different people who want to be in different bands playing together. He it's definitely just, does. Uh, Mike Mike Patton is garbage. like that. Yeah, dude, that's funny. I don't know. I just think Faith No More is just got a little more street cred, frankly, and I can get behind that. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> more experimental, like inherently, right? Like at least it's like more diverse music rather than like dubba 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 California every it's, album, right? See, I think that's what makes Red Hot Chili Peppers better because they're so stupid. <laughs> yeah, that's true. they know it too. There's no doubt. They jump know what they're doing. Jump. Yeah, yeah. I can't listen to them anymore. I like some of their some of their songs are like undeniable, like uh, you know, they're like historic, historical, under, like under they're the almost bridge. like Michael Jackson. Yeah, Under the Bridge is that's a yeah. Also, like musically and structurally, like a very interesting song. But uh, I learned how to play that when I was a teenager too, and I was like, "Wow, this is hard and easy at the same time." <laughs> um, and then I got I got really into hip hop once I started smoking weed about a year or two after that, big time, because that's what the people who you smoke weed with, where I was living, sort of white wannabe gangster types, were listening to. Uh, so I was like, "All right." And I was, I'm always a big obsessive person. So I was like, I got to know more about this than these guys. Kind of got really into it. Yeah. Uh, and hi yeah, hip hop is the thing I actually listen to the most, probably still. But uh, it's just, yeah, it's, it's like easy listening for me. It's like, uh, the, like a, a Dell to, you know, a, a mom is my hip hop or whatever. <laughs> Did you ever uh, did you ever try to um, make hip hop tracks I, or I do I do make hip hop tracks yeah yeah oh you do okay cool I do. cool yeah yeah it's like very ridiculous but I do yeah I was just so interested Can you in form. yeah sure yeah has like, hip hop gotten past the the trap we're just production? getting past it now yeah I, I was checking out some of the new stuff. And I like all these, I like, I feel like the big thing last year was um, women rapping about pussy. Like yeah, a, I love that shit, man. Yeah, That's a debate I get in with some of my, some of my friends that are, you know, kind of stuck in their ways about hip hop where they're like, I don't like Cardi B. Da, da, da. I, I like that shit. I like it a lot. I find it exciting, you know? Yeah, City Girls I listen to. Yeah, I feel that shit's awesome. They're awesome. But yeah. it's just, it's just trap beats with, um, with women talking about their pussies, which is cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I like the formulaicness of of trap beats. Like I find it like almost the the kind of kind of comforting, you know. They're they're awesome. Do you know? Um, you ever listen to uh, Trap Studies by D. Raya? No, I don't know that. I'll write it down. Oh, it's so good. It's <laughs> it's a, a guy who we've known for a long time. Going back, he used to book shows for us at Hampshire. His name is Jack Callahan. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, but he he records music under this uh, German name D Raya, and how do you spell that? Uh, D I E, 
R uh, E I H E. Okay. Uh, yeah, but he he did an album where it's uh, it just takes one uh, element of the trap beat at a time and just like has that go on for a while. So you get I one trap that's just the little hi hats. Yeah, yeah, I love the little hi hats, man. They're infectious. Yeah, it's it's funny. It's good. But yeah, I think hip hop is getting past trap music i think it's on its last kind of legs of dominating the billboards um i don't know if you guys have ever heard like that hundred gex and that kind of stuff that's been popping off a little bit i think that sort of hyper pop thing that people are you ever listen like the pc music label and that kind of stuff any of you guys yeah yeah Yeah. i was hearing some of this and some of the stuff i listened to i forget little like little uzi vert yeah he's he's on that kind of blending the kind of synthy pop shit with He goes over the kind of like Sega Genesis video gamey kind of beats seamlessly. And I like him a lot. I'm a big fan of him. Um, But I think that's the, what's going to dominate the, the literally the billboard charts by 2022, probably. I think especially if, if the pandemic completely chills out, people want to dance again and trap music is in the, it's like good, like club music, but I don't think it's great dance music necessarily. Whereas something like, I don't know, Sophie. Like, okay, the if you, for you for you guys who aren't aware of this stuff, it sounds like Aqua. This shit sounds like Aqua. Yeah, like Barbie I, girl. I, I I get where you're going. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's gonna take over once people want to dance. I don't know. Yeah, or can dance. I guess. Happy Happy Hardcore is back. Yeah, basically. <laughs> right. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Yeah, the Hunter Gets thing. I feel like it's yeah, it's like a band like Aqua. But writing songs like Mr. Bunglewood. Yeah, that's definitely you know, right. They're doing that sort of mishmash pastiche thing, but with the kind of new electronic music kind of angle. Yeah. Uh, they're huge too, man. Like very, 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 very popular band, weirdly. I even feel a little too old for it, though, to be honest. But that's, I, I know that feeling. Yeah. It's finally happening. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, cool. I don't know. You guys want to talk about anything else? I mean, we could just keep. Uh, I wish we could play music right now. Yeah. Like, be able to play live right now, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't help you. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? They, they I thought you were gonna figure this capital. out. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Well, this this will go on like the radio, so I'll I'll play some some of your music at the very least. So, can you um play little snippets of the songs you guys just talked or the artists you guys just talked about in there too? Sure. Yeah, I can do that. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna put it together before I go to bed tonight. Just so, the, yeah, just so the fans, just so they know what's going on. Yeah, I'll probably edit this chat down a touch just because i only have an hour and i also gotta play music but uh, it'll be on youtube oh you only have an hour okay yeah but i also post the full unedited interviews always on youtube and various podcasting apps. i said that in the email i think but yeah oh yeah okay that's for the true the true listeners yeah exactly yeah i didn't like adhering to a form so i was like all right i'm gonna do both you know uh okay yeah Thanks for talking to me, man. This is sweet. Good. Thanks yeah. for uh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for uh, 
giving us something to do. Yeah, my pleasure. So yeah, for the listeners, uh, you can find their new albums, pre-order them now. I think this will be up on Monday. So the album, what day is it today? The album was, will not be out yet. Um, you can pre-order Modern Reserve uh, from Flag Day Records. Is that, is that that's right? The Flag Day Recordings. Flag Day Recordings. And you can get uh, The Lower Way on Decoherence. They're easy Googles. Uh, you can find them easy. Uh, and they rip. They rip. So do it. Uh, this has been White Suns. Thanks, guys. Thanks, man. I'm just going to stop.